LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Janae White. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me back. So uh, it's been a little bit since since you've been on. You were there. You were on for quite a while there. And then, you know, Chandler kind of took over from you. So Right. But I told Chandler I wanted this interview. I wanted this episode. So here I am. Sorry, Chandler. <laughs> so uh, and there's there's a reason. Uh, today we have uh, Ian Cron on with us. He's uh, of course, you, you would know him from uh, being the champion of the Enneagram and he's best-selling author of uh, The Road Back to You. A lot of our listeners have have read that book, of course, but he's a pioneer in the contemporary Enneagram movement and highly sought after speaker for conferences and corporate boardrooms alike. And we're honored to have him uh, today on Five Five Leadership Questions. So well, thanks. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Um, now, uh, we won't completely go into corona related questions however question two is our what is our main point of emphasis or your main point of emphasis right now and and everybody knows that that we get to that but i want to go ahead and bring that to light right now because uh you've told us you and your team have been working on some really specific really helpful tools related to enneagram and stress and quarantine so can you tell us a little bit about that before we get started yeah, well, we just dropped a, a series uh, beginning today called the Enneagram and Stress. It's uh, quarantined. And uh, what we're doing uh, in a video format is, you know, just taking a look at each number and how they can minimize their weaknesses and tap into their strengths uh, and, you know, become the most skillful helpful, compassionate expression of themselves, you know, at a time, particularly where a lot of us are in a house with, you know, five or six people, maybe uh, we're concerned about finances. uh, We're trying to juggle work remotely and entertaining kids, uh, anxious about health of people we love, uh, et cetera. So we we just wanted to come up with a, a series that, that would be uh, of service to people. And so people can go to at Ian Morgan Cron um, uh, on Instagram and, and check out what we're doing or jump on my email list and, and get announcements and videos through that too. And that's ianmorgancron.com. That's great. I think that'll be really helpful. What unique opportunities, Ian, talking about stress and we're thinking about so many things in our lives that are changing um, and we're not getting to do as part of the pandemic that we're in. But what unique opportunities are you seeing for people during this time? And especially for leaders, thinking about our audience of where they are having to lead remotely, lead Zoom meetings. What unique opportunities do you see for people at this time? Yeah, you know, I used to have a friend, a mentor friend, um, who one time I went to him and I said in a moment of crisis about something in my family, and I said, man, I just want everything to go back to the way it used to be. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's not possible. Um, It's the wrong question. The right question is, uh, what does this make possible? Mm. And 
I've never forgotten that question. It, it reoriented me to every time I'm in a moment of crisis to ask the question, okay, what does this crisis make possible for me? Um, and, and so I've carried that with me for many years. And as I think about the Enneagram and the crisis we're in, um, I think it opens up all kinds of opportunities and invitations um, to work on ourselves, to become the best expression of ourselves that we can become, uh, to exercise the muscles of compassion and patience and uh, self-care, right? So that we can be the best expression of ourselves. Um, And so I see it as a real muscle building time not as how do I just get through this, right? It's, it's no, how do I get through this and actually be a better version of myself as a result of having walked through this particular time of, of uncertainty? That's a really wise, helpful perspective. And I think we've talked about on the show before how important, um, how important self-awareness and emotional intelligence is for leaders. And you mentioned um, that in your answer. So I would love for you to kind of transition us a little bit to give us give us an overview of the Enneagram. For those who have, are not familiar with the Enneagram, um, Todd and I are both familiar with it, have um, done different studies on it, but I would love for you to just walk us through what is this framework? What is the tool um, of the Enneagram? And then we could, that can help us frame the rest of our conversation. Great. Well, in brief, uh, the Enneagram is a personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic or core personality styles in the world, one of which people gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to feel safe and to cope, right? Um, In a world of these new things to little people called relationships. Um, These uh, nine types, and this is important, um, there's an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type predictably and habitually acts, thinks, and feels on a moment-to-moment basis, you know, every day, right? It's, It's kind of their... Uh, operating system. Um, these, uh, what you want to do, of course, is identify your type and learn how your type has superpowers. It has kryptonite. Um, it uh, has a, a blessing that it can bring to the world or a curse, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what determines that is your level of self-awareness, um, and your self-knowledge, right? Um, it, it's, it's amazing. Most people, the vast majority of people think they know themselves far better than they do, really. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Research, that's evidence-based research material right there. Um, so what the Enneagram does is give you a much, it, it opens the aperture and gives you a much wider vocabulary and understanding of yourself so that, not that you can navel-gaze, but so that you can live in relationship with other people with a lot more emotional wisdom. Mm, That's good. Emotional wisdom. I love that. So if you're starting out in the Enneagram right now, what do you recommend? How do people find, find out what, which one of the nine types that they are? Do they take a test? Do they read about it? What, what's your recommendation? Yeah. So really there are two, at least two ways, right? One is um, they can, and this is going to sound so self-promotional, but <laughs> I actually I, I actually believe it. 
Um, there are a lot of books on the Enneagram and they are wonderful, um, content rich works, but they are 500 pages and very technical. And when I, I wrote the book, The Road Back to You, as a primer, as an introduction for people to find their type, to learn in brief what that type is like. And um, so that's the, I think the finest in terms of reading the best resource available, uh, at least at this present moment, unless you're a therapist or you have time to quit your day job to read a 500 page technical manual. Um, we are quarantined then, right now, so we might need to like add <laughs> books to the show notes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, uh, different t- different things for different people. But um, if you want an introduction, I think that's the best. Secondly, I have a test called the IEQ9, which um, I worked with a company in South Africa to create a test that is very, very accurate and, you know, gives you a 22 or 44 page report on your type specific to you, like how you answer. Um, And uh, that's available. You go on my website, Ian Ian Cron or ianmorgancron.com and take a look at that. That's great. So I do want to, uh, to move us into our five questions now. I mean, you know, the, the first question is, who are you currently learning from? And I think we'd all be really interested to hear uh, what you're learning and who you're learning from right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a therapist. And so I read a lot of books on psychology, you know, and as a person who spends most of his time out in the world talking about the Enneagram, self-knowledge and self-awareness, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time reading the, the psychiatrist Carl Jung. Um, and so I'm up to my nose in, in books by Carl Jung and uh, another psychologist named Karen Horney. And in terms of business books, I've been reading Tasha Yurich's book, Insight, which um, is super helpful around this topic of, of self-awareness. And uh, so that's been kind of my, my reading. It's not the most scintillating, exciting reading for your, maybe your listeners, but, but for me, it's just fascinating material. So as, uh, you know, with anything you grow in depth of, of knowledge in whatever it is that you're, you're studying, what are, as you've come back around to some of those materials and, you know, the road back to you is is great. What have you been learning since then uh, as you go back and you lo- you look at some of those same materials and, and even as you go back to those books that you're, you just spoke of, what are you learning new today or through the lens of today that you maybe didn't see before? Yeah, well... I mean, one thing is, uh, I I mentioned earlier, which is just, it's just how staggering, how little we know about ourselves. You know, the human ego would like us to believe that we know ourselves better than we do and that we are more in control of our lives than we actually are, right? There's a lot of, so think of of it this way. Um, We we tend to live above the waterline of consciousness, right? Stuff that we know about ourselves, but there's a whole lot of stuff 
beneath the waterline of consciousness operating that affects the way that we act and can feel and, and move in the world. And if, if, you know, the more that you can bring the stuff underneath the waterline into above the waterline into the light of consciousness, the better off you are, right? Um, the more you're going to be able to walk through the world with um, just being informed about yourself and how you relate to other people and your, uh, your teams at work, um, the people that work beside you, your family, the ability to, um, and, and when I say self-awareness, what I'm, maybe one definition I would give to that is the ability to observe and regulate the way that you act, think, and feel in relationship to yourself and other people on a daily basis, right? Most people live on autopilot, right? They're half asleep. Um, they just do the same stuff over and over and over again. They turn to the same familiar solutions to problems over and over again, even though they don't work. You know what I'm saying? Like they just right. keep recycling. They just keep recycling strategies that don't work. When the, one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram is, is it can interrupt the circuit on that and, and reveal to you, here's a strategy you're trying to use. It doesn't work. Here's an alternative, mm. right? And that's incredibly powerful material, whether you're working in corporate settings, in church settings, conference settings. And uh, what's so great about it is no one ever tires about hearing about themselves. So I have an audience <laughs> that, you know, is, I don't have to convince anybody this is going to be a good time, you know? Hey, I have a, I have a, a, a random question. Have you read the, uh, a beautiful constraint by any chance? I have not. Um, it's a fascinating book. Uh, just because it's, it's, it's really saying, Hey, we think, uh, you know, boldness, creativity, innovation come from having an abundance of resources or abundance of opportunity or time or, or all these things that, that we desperately want. But it says reality is that most of those things actually come from constraint. And when you put, you know, constraints on yourself specifically around um, your path dependence. So, you know, if you want to break path dependence, that's exactly um, one of the things that, that they talk about doing. And I hadn't even thought of uh, how beneficial um, taking a look at, you know, your Enneagram would be also yeah. as part of that conversation of asking propelling questions. And, you know, instead of saying we can't, we can, if we substitute, you know, X for Y, or, you know, there's, there's a whole framework there that's, that's in play that, um, I think would really dovetail well. Oh my gosh. Listen, I, I, I tell this to people a lot, but Cornell did this. Cornell University Business School did a study of 72 high-performing CEOs to, of companies ranging in value from $50 million to $5 billion. And what they wanted to find out was what, did the, what quality or characteristic did these leaders share in common that accounted for their success? And they thought the answer was going to be sort of the standard business book answer, right? It was going to be grit. It was going to be strategic planning gifts. It was going to be charisma. It was going to be drive, right? And here is the, this is a direct quote from the study. 
in the conclusion of the study. The key predictor of success among leaders and executives is self-awareness. Wow. And that, I mean, and when I tell that, you know, I do a lot of corporate work. The room goes as silent as the silence we just experienced, right? <laughs> they, they, they all had thought it was going to be one of these somewhat predictable hard skills. And when they learn that it's a soft skill, this thing called self-awareness, it really piques their uh, interest. Uh, some, sometimes it makes their shoulders slump because they're not necessarily self-reflective people. But mm. when they hear that, they really sit forward and they say, tell me how. That's incredible. That's so paradigm shifting of what you think it's going to be. But oh, that's yeah. great because like you said, that's something that people, people are always going to be interested in themselves and giving them a framework like the Enneagram or other tools that are there to help them get there versus some of those other qualities that we might think the study would have shown that some people would have struggled with. I think it's incredible that that makes the difference, like that self-awareness, that, that wisdom that the Enneagram or a tool like that can bring us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, um, we host interns of course, every summer and, uh, this summer, um, our interns will go through, uh, Enneagram. They'll go through, um, emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. then they'll also do, uh, strength finder. So mm -hmm. how, so, and we do that because we want them to, m most will say, Hey, this is better than anything I learned in college because you help me, you know, not necessarily put myself in a box, but help me understand, you know, who, who God made me to be or, or, or how I'm wired a little bit. How, how does emotional intelligence and that idea, I'm not talking about a specific, you know, version or, or test, but um, we've talked about emotional intelligence on the podcast before. So most of our listeners are fairly familiar with that. How does that overlap with, uh, with your Enneagram? Um, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Um, Daniel Goldman's work is, is, is wonderful. I, I love any instrument like disc or Myers-Briggs or Colby or Hogan or StrengthsFinder, anything that, that elevates people's self-awareness. Now here's, here's what distinguishes the Enneagram from those. The Enneagram first of all, recognizes that the human personality, the way that we function in the world, um, is not static, right? I mean, sometimes I, I mean, that's one of my sort of critiques of some of those instruments. They're very static. Like, this is, how, this is who you are, you know what I mean? Instead right. of, in the Enneagram, it's like, well, who you are when you're under stress is a lot different than who you are when you're just out fishing, you know what I mean? Um, who you are when you're in an argument with your boss or your spouse is a lot different than who you are when, you know, you're on a battlefield somewhere, you know? Um, so the Enneagram helps us see what we're like at our best and at our worst when we're under a lot of strain and when we're in a good space, right? So there's levels of health in your personality and approach to the world that the Enneagram unpacks, um, so that's, to me, a real advantage to it. The other one would be that, uh, you know, like I studied Myers-Briggs in graduate school when I was studying to become a therapist. I still don't understand the dang thing. 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I have a basic idea, you know, I'm an ENFP. Okay. I, I know what those letters mean, but I don't understand the application necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I appreciate all of those tests, but the Enneagram is so accessible. Um, it's, you know, you can learn more about yourself and the people you love in 10 pages of descriptions that are uncannily accurate along with a growth path, right? So it's not just, this is who you are. It's like, this is who you are, and this is the work you have to do to be your best. Right. Uh, A lot of those instruments don't provide those kinds of resources. Yeah, I think that's, that is what, is what has made it one of the most helpful tools for me versus the other tests, though that, though there's been, like you said, some helpful things that I've pulled out of those other tests, the Enneagram. Oh, yeah holistic in the way it takes into account. Um, like you've mentioned the stress, um, different ways that your personality or your number is under stress and security. Could you explain that a little bit for someone that's not familiar with the Enneagram, what you mentioned about how you might act under stress or in a, a argument with your spouse? Sure. I don't, I don't have a, a, you know, folks, if they had a diagram with the Enneagram in front of them, it would make a lot more sense. Right. Sure. But, so Google that but one now. I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but as a, okay, so I'm a four on the Enneagram, and I know that when I'm under stress, I start to look like and act like an unhealthy two on the Enneagram. Okay, mm-hmm. and when I'm in a really good space, I act like a really healthy one. Now, what does that mean? It means that I can spot. This, I mean, this just happened the other day. Okay, I was. Uh, with a group of people that I had done a lot of favors for and gone out of my way to, to do stuff. And I, I experienced them as being very ungrateful and it really hacked me off. And I, and I could feel myself having this bubbling resentment that I had been such a helper and these people were not appreciating me. That is an unhealthy too. Right. So even though I'm a four, I'm always going to be a four. That's my dominant type. I can begin to look, act, and feel like an unhealthy too when I'm under stress. Now, how does that help? Well, in the moment, I was able to see, I have enough self-awareness because of so much of this work that I've done, I could see what was happening. And I was able to step back because I've learned how to observe myself and say, you know, this never ends well. <laughs> you know, when, when you go to this space, it is an uncomfortable space. Uh, you're, you're liable to snap at these people. Is it possible that your job was to help them without any expectation that they would reciprocate? Mm. And I was able to kind of live more wide awake and not be in that autopilot where I'm just continually going to the same familiar solutions that don't work. Uh, And, you know, kind of decide to move toward a healthier space. Um, That is incredibly helpful. Oh, so helpful. And I love it. I love when you mentioned the example of it being like realizing what your autopilot is. I've heard you um, or maybe it was in the book that said also just seeing your bot, the box that you keep yourself in and then realizing that the box is open, that you can get out. You know, you can turn off autopilot. You can get out of the box and realize that there's a better way or another way to be and then sometimes oh. just language to these, these struggles, like, look, and I have a two wing. So I, I'm a three wing too. Um, and I relate to a little bit, some of that, what you just described, 
of when the helper side can, when it's a little bit unhealthy, it can be a little bit manipulative or keep track of this for them. And then I'm not getting it back or something. Yeah, totally. And what I love about it is, right. This is so simple. Like this, I always say Enneagram is very simple to learn. It's very hard to master. Mm. Um, it's a very complicated system, but you don't need to master it to benefit from it in ways that are incredibly helpful. So I, that's just basic Enneagram stuff. I said, you go to my book and just find that out, you know, like, well, when I am not in a good space, this is how I, here are some of the red flags I should be paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's a lifelong journey, self-awareness and self-knowledge, but what I would say is that the Enneagram can move you along the continuum of self-knowledge in a way that's kind of evol- like evolutionary steps forward, right? Mm-hmm. Like very quickly. So it's just, like I tell corporate teams all the time, today when I, well, I'm going to introduce you to a system today that is going to save you an amazing amount of time as you mm-hmm. work for or manage other people. I'm just going to save you incredible time, conflict, miscommunications. Like I'm going to help you get rid of so many inefficiencies as leaders um, today. And, and you know what, my clients, I can't think of a client that has ever come back to me and said, this, you didn't deliver or the Enneagram didn't deliver. Never had. And I think what you just said, that's an, that's an amazing recommendation and kind of defense of why as a leader, as a pastor, whatever, um, whatever context you're in, this is how the Enneagram can help you better lead those that are on your team and better understand them, better relate to them. I think what you just said, people need to go back 30 seconds and listen to that again, um, because that that's very insightful for why we need well, I, Enneagram as leaders. I mean, yeah, listen, I was a pastor for 10 years and of a church that, that I started. And mm. I, I sometimes have pangs of, um, you know, regret that I didn't know the Enneagram when I was pastoring a new church um, because I could have saved myself not only time, but heartache. Mm. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, seriously, it's there. I've had moments of the Enneagram. It's like, you know, sort of scales fell off my eyes and I, I just would have been such a better leader and, and also a better pastor of, of my congregation. You know, there, there would have been so many things I wouldn't have taken personally. You know, there, there, there would have been there's so many things I would have been able to do with my leadership and my teams um, to help them understand who they are and, and eliminate, you know how it is just to, when you're a leader, when you reach, reach a certain level of leadership, about well over 50% of your time is personality problems. Mm-hmm. Deal, yeah. Dealing with personality problems. It, it, and so that's where the pushback is. That's where the problems are. You spend so much time just trying to put personality fires out between staff members or staff members and you, congregations and you, you know, whatever. I wish I'd known the Enneagram then. Um, like I said, it would have saved me some amazing time and heartache. Hmm. Well, that's another great plug. If you don't don't know about the Enneagram, go pick up the road back to you. Go take Ian's assessment and save yourself the time and the heartache and the misunderstanding and all of those things. 
I could ask you so many um, follow up questions about the Enneagram, but I know we need to get back to the the questions that I have for you. Um, so here's what I find fascinating in this situation. Um, I am a, I am an eight seven. Yeah. You should know how much Janae loves this from the way that she is controlling and dominating this conversation. <laughs> I'm bringing myself in, Todd, actually. You are. You no. are. I think we switched today. I think, I think, I think we switched today. That's not, not in the bad. studio. No, not seeing each other, not being able to, We're making it work. Yeah, so can I just give you an example of something? Yeah, the, please. So the Enneagram gives teams and individuals a vernacular, a vocabulary, that's no longer personal, right? So in that situation, let's say you both do the Enneagram and, um, you know, uh, one of you is being dominating and domineering and, you know, sort of taking control, the eight. So the other person can then go and say, you know, you're an eight. And today you were really an eight. And I felt like it would have been helpful if you had kept your guns in your holster a little more and given space for me as my type to uh, have more of a contribution. Now you've got a language to talk. It's not, you know, and the, you know, the eight can't say I'm not an eight. The three can't say they're not a three. <laughs> it's like, you both know your, you both know your game. And right. it's like, you could eliminate a lot of problems. So, okay. How can I, as an eight, um, what should I know about leading a three and what should a three know about leading up to an eight? Okay. Well, let's just, yeah, no problem. So let's just talk for a moment about what an eight and a three are. So people know. Okay, great. Yeah, that's so, the, so the eight is called the challenger. Uh, the, Unconscious motivation, right? The, the thing that's happening underneath the waterline of consciousness for them, okay, is they have a need to uh, assert strength and control over the environment and other people in order to mask vulnerability and weakness both from themselves and others, okay? They're larger-than-life presences, um, they are more steamroller than diplomat. Um, they are sometimes domineering, combative. They're not afraid of confrontation. Every now and then they kind of get a lot of energy. They actually get calories from confrontation. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so knowing that, that's important for you. Now, the three is called the, the performer or the achiever. What's the unconscious motivation? Uh, it's a need to succeed to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. So the first thing you need to know is your type, its unconscious motivation, its patterns, right, of relating, and keeping them at the forefront of your mind so that you're monitoring them and regulating them as you're relating to each other, right? Um, your number is not an excuse for bad behavior. You know what I mean? Like... Like you shouldn't be saying, well, I'm just an eight. That's the way it is. You got to take me the way I am. It's like, no, that's not what the Enneagram is for. The Enneagram is, is, is meant to expose some of the shadow stuff so that you can regulate it. 
and just be aware of what's happening in the moment, right? Uh, and then, then you can change the way that you're acting, thinking, and feeling to accommodate and adapt to the situation. In terms of an eight leading a three, that's a complicated question. There's a lot of ways I can answer it. Um, but first of all, you're both assertive types. Three, sevens, and eights are the most assertive types on the Enneagram. Okay. Um, eights sometimes will become impatient with um, a threes. Uh, sort of, threes are much more image conscious than eights, right? And, and sometimes the eight will look at the three and go, you know, uh, does this person have a hidden agenda? Uh, is this person, um, uh, you know, trying to get ahead and rather than be a team player, you know? Three looks at the eight and is like, why does this person have to be so aggressive uh, and, and not um, as sort of like threes have an intuition about people that eights don't have. And the three look at the eight sometimes and go, you didn't read the room? Like, it was just so obvious. And the, eight, the eight's like, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, they just went, they just, they just went blowing in. Uh, so I can actually, can I tell you a three eight story really fast? Yes. Sure. Me and Todd are each three and eight. Uh, super. <laughs> so, all right. So three, just a really super short story. I was hired by a hedge fund guy in New York who run, who runs about $32 billion worth of money. Okay. He was pitching to the largest family foundation in the world, okay, um, to manage some of their money. And he flew out, if I told you where, you would know who the family is, and I can't do that, but, but he flew out to meet with the guy who was the money manager for this family. And he said to me, you know, every time I go out there, it's like literally the guy beats me up. And I'm like... So he described the guy, and I'm like, okay, this guy's pretty clearly an eight. I knew this hedge fund manager, and I said, here's the deal. Um, you're a three on the Enneagram. And this is a guy, by the way, that went to Yale as an undergrad in Harvard Business School. And I said, I said you're a three on the Enneagram, and uh, you're every time you, you lay out your presentation and he powers up on you, you try to be diplomatic and he hears that as like, I don't know what, you know, this guy seems to be talking around the, the issues and not really getting down to it, you know? And I said, so the next time you go out there, this is like the fifth time he was flying from New York across the country to meet this guy. I said, when he powers up on you, I want you to meet his energy. I don't want you to escalate it. I just want you to become a, as aggressive and straightforward and no-nonsense talking as he is. And he went out there. Uh, he had nothing to lose because it was like the fifth time. You know what I mean? And he, and he did that, and he got their business. What that eight was doing, the eights are not naturally trusting of people. You know, they kind of think that other people might have a hidden agenda, right? And they want to know what it is. And the way that an eight will try to figure out what it is is be – a little combative because they feel like, hey, if I can get into an argument with this person, I'll find out what the hidden agenda is because people tip their hands in conflict, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, just power up. 
and meet him. He wants to, and then once you do, he'll trust you. But as long as you're being diplomatic, he's a little bit like, he, he, he is going to perceive that as weakness, not as strength. Hmm. And he went out, he got the business. Yeah. Wow. Or agenda. Like what's your, what's your agenda? Um, I have a, a team of threes. Like everybody on my team is a three. Um, and I love it. It's, it works great. It works very well for me, but I can see how, um, you know, it, I build trust through conflict. <laughs> um, meaning like I, I just, it's not bad conflict. It's, or I don't think it's bad conflict. I think it's healthy conflict. Like just lets everybody know exactly where everybody is. And I think without that, you don't move forward from a leadership perspective. Um, it often takes that. And when I say conflict, it's not, um, something that is heated. It is something that is just g caring enough to confront, you know, whatever issue that there might be, that could be a personality thing. Um, but more often than not, it's just bringing to the surface, you know, something that needs to be solved mm -hmm. or that's just maybe an eight talking. No, but I think threes are actually not afraid of conflict. Uh, you know, a healthy three can, can mix it up with a, with an eight. You're both assertive types, right? You, you both are okay expressing anger. You, you'll do it for different reasons. A three might get angry because they don't want anything to slow them down. Mm -hmm. Right. And if the eight is an autocrat and is kind of slowing down the system because they're not listening to the other team members, threes will get frustrated you know, cause you're impeding progress. Um, you just have different concerns than, than each other. Um, but you're all leaders. Threes and eights are natural leaders. Um, mm -hmm. both of you, both threes and eights are not particularly feeling oriented people, right? Even though threes are in what we call the feeling triad, both of you, both threes and eights can blow through people on, on, as they run toward the goal, right? Uh, that be careful of that. Um, and, uh, but, you know, threes tend to focus their attention on culting and cultivating an image of success to gain the admiration of others, while eights really don't pay much attention to their own image and how people perceive them. Um, you know, so it's, again, if, when you start to know this stuff, it changes the game. Hmm. And I think something you said is helpful, especially especially as people are getting into um, learning about the Enneagram. And something that helped me was knowing that um, we might act the same in a certain way, but all of us are coming to that situation with a different motivation. So though totally. Todd and three and eights might be, like you said, natural leaders or might approach a, a situation a certain way, we're still going to have different motivations. And I think that is something to me that distinguishes the Enneagram from other personality tools is getting to the heart of the matter and caring more about what's going on inside versus more of your external personality, which I know they're connected, yeah. but that, that was helpful for me to make that difference. Yeah. So I think one of the, and I say this to leaders all the time, look, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is to believe that your way of seeing the world is normal. Mm. 
Because when you do, and you meet somebody who sees the world differently than you do, right? Um, You will think they're abnormal. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. There's a problem. Yeah, there's a problem. Whereas if the Enneagram is right, there are nine normals. So a smart leader is going to uh, tap into and rely on the superpowers of different types, right? Um, and factor bake into their calculations. Okay, so this three is, is gifted in this area. I'm not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I need to listen. I need to listen to them because they have a natural gift in this situation that I need to take into consideration. Right. And then it kind of tempers your expectations of people too. Like if you're thinking about from the superpower sensor with certain giftings of each type, then you're not going to be as disappointed if you know, well, I shouldn't rely on this type at the same time to bring this to the table when that's just the way they see the world or that's not going to be in their natural gifting. Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, let's take sales, right? Um, in, in sales, there's lots of times an eight should let a three take the lead. Mm. Threes are natural salesmen. Eights tend to be, can sometimes be a little too aggressive um, in a way that can overwhelm the room. And again, it just depends on who's in the room, right? You have to know the audience in advance because the eight might be better. Right. Um, but uh the A may say, okay, you know, in this situation, I'm going to let you take lead. Um, and, and, you know, when you know that, you know, chances are your average of successes will improve. Mm, that's good. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. Well, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. This has been, oh my goodness, so helpful. Um, The last question I want to ask before we let you go is what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? Oh boy. <laughs> what would I tell my 20 year old self about? <laughs> no, it's a huge question. Um, and it's a very good question. You know, um, one thing I, I would say is don't take anything personally. Mm. Um, anything. Because usually in life, there are a whole lot of other reasons that people act, think, and feel the way that they do. And um, so I've just learned in life, I rarely, I try to rarely to take things personally. Um, 
and and not let emotions kind of get in the way of critical thinking. Now that's mm-hmm. for my particular type, right? Okay. Um, I think um, another thing I would tell you my twenty year old self is um, that it it's a long game, um, and focus at least a good amount of what you do on character development, not skill development. Mm. Um, Because at the end of the day, the most important thing a leader has to have is good character. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Like character is more important than personality any day. Right. I mean, like my daughter, when, when her her now husband came uh, to ask me for uh, her hand, right. I remember looking out the window of my house as he was walking up the walkway to our front door. And I wasn't thinking, boy, I hope this guy has a good personality. (laughs) Right. I'll take a boring guy with good character over a guy with bad character with a a good personality style. You know what I mean? So to me, character and leadership is absolutely Critical. It doesn't matter how many skills or education you have. If you're not a person of good character, you're going to be a bad leader. Amen. Well, uh, just thank you so much for spending time with us. I know um, we we would have loved to have hosted you in the studio, but thanks for joining us on here. Um, and thanks for the work that you're doing uh, right now during this crisis. And Yes. Really uh, doubling down and helping people understand, you know, uh, themselves better and how they're handling stress. And uh, the thing that I've always appreciated the most and, and our listeners know, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a Myers-Briggs kind of guy uh, because that's what I was trained in and, and love for so long. But the thing that I appreciate about the Enneagram uh, is the shadow side. Like you just don't get that with, with other, with other tools. And I think it's especially important to know as leaders and, you know, during a time like this, um, really understanding yourself and understanding the stress that you're under and the things that you might shift into if you're not careful are, are really, really valuable. Um, so just thanks so much for, for putting that out there. Um, and, you know, listeners, you can go to ianmorgancron.com and his last name is spelled C-R-O-N, ianmorgancron.com uh, for all kinds of uh, information there. And if you um, check him out on um, social platforms as well and all of this week, uh, they have that main emphasis. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to, to tell us, Ian? Yeah, just the Instagram handle is at ianmorgancron. And then they go to my website, they can sign up for my newsletter, which sends out a lot of, um, you know, sort of free resources and uh, not, not unlike some of the things that we're talking about today. That's great. Thank you so much, Ian. We really appreciate your wisdom on this and answering our questions, even our three and eight questions, <laughs> very specific to your hosts. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening and please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. 